Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for being with us and letting us be part of your day. We hope you're safe and well. Please be very, very careful. Another, We wrap up another amazing week and uh, things happening that we never thought we would see happening. So we urge you to be careful. Take all the precautions you can. Coming up on our program today, we're going to get into the, uh, the discussion. Can farms be applying for some of this money that's available in this relief effort for COVID-19, especially the Paycheck Protection Program. We'll be talking with Brian Keel, Director of Government and Public Affairs for Queso Isom, about that. Also, we continue to look at the market situation. Yesterday, we looked at the cattle market. Today, we look at the hog market. Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates, will be with us. And finding some good news here, we're going to for a, at the end of the program, we'll put COVID-19 aside for a bit and take a look at yet another new use for soybeans in running shoes. We'll find out about that a little bit later on. We'll talk with the USB, United Soybean Board Director from the state of New York. But first, we're going to start things off a story you probably heard quite a bit about yesterday, and that is the dumping of milk in the state of Wisconsin. And here to discuss that issue and give us some more background on it is Mark Stevenson, Director of Dairy Policy Analysis for the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Mark, thank you for joining us. Uh, How widespread is this milk dumping throughout Wisconsin? Well, Mike, we we started with one uh, cooperative and we've now got some other folks who are dumping milk. And we're starting to see that in other parts of the country as well. Um, it's almost as though this was just the, you know, first of the uh, uh, what we expect to be a little bit of dumping going on um, as the system is trying to handle a surge of milk and, and very fluctuating demand. And well, let's talk about that dem- demand side of it, because, you know, we've for weeks now we've been talking about people rushing to the stores and, and emptying the shelves are they not buying a lot of milk, or is the loss of uh, a lot of the schools being closed and restaurants being shut down, is that causing a demand issue, as a demand shortage for milk? Well, it's been interesting, but, um, you know, behind the scenes, uh, the dairy industry was scrambling here when uh, we started to have this closing of restaurants and, and uh, other things, because the items that are highly demanded in food service tend to be different than the dairy items that were highly demanded here at home, in-home eating. And a good example is barrel cheese, um, you know, make those single slices that are melted for cheeseburgers on fast food all the time, or in restaurants, maybe you get a plate of nachos and you've got some of that semi-plastic cheese that's pumped over the top. That all comes from barrel cheese plants. And those just saw a drop in orders almost overnight. At the same time, we saw this surge in fluid milk demand, uh, products flying off the shelf. So, you know, behind the scenes, you have to scramble and start to change trucks going to, uh, you know, the uh, barrel cheese plants and moving them over to fluid plants. Um, A lot of that happened pretty well. But, you know, there were temporary shortages on some of the shelves in retail uh, operations where you didn't find milk when you went in there. But, you know, those have, those have stocked up now, and, and we've got product available. Um, but one of the issues, I think, is that 
we were all scrambling to make sure that our pantries were full and our refrigerators were full. And when that happened, we're now eating out of that food cache and we aren't going to the grocery store for a little while. And, you know, we'll, we'll see this kind of surge and, and ebb um, over the next few weeks until we get used to our new normal. Mark, were dairy producers caught by surprise by this and, and when they found out they were going to have to dump, or did they have any uh, advance notice? We had some advance notice. <clears throat> A few of the cooperatives had sent out some letters that indicated we may have to. We didn't at the time. I mean, in fact, demand was surging, but um, you know, they wanted to alert their members that this was something that they were anticipating with problems in the supply chain. And, uh, you know, we're certainly seeing that happen now. So people uh, had begun to talk about dumping before we actually had any dumping occur. I think everyone's kind of learning a lot of things through COVID-19. And I think one of the things that's coming out of it, people are starting to maybe look at where their food comes from and what it takes to get them food. So there may be some education going on here. Some are probably wondering how in the world could we be just dumping milk down the drain at a time like this or any time for that matter. Uh, so maybe for those that are listening that don't understand how the system works, maybe you could explain it. And, of course, a part of it is you have a perishable product uh, that it's not like you can put it in a grain bin and just keep it for a long period of time. So, And also the fact that cows have to be milked. So kind of take us through that so people understand why this is happening. Well, I'd be happy to. And I just was listening uh, before we came on here that uh, – Apparently, you can stuff soybeans into sneakers, uh, but, you know, we don't have that option with some of our dairy products. And as you pointed out, uh, it's different than corn or soybeans or some other uh, agricultural products. Uh, You know, like some of our fresh vegetables, this is a highly perishable product. So we have to make it and process it and get it to people in sort of a just-in-time inventory. And that requires, you know, a system that is running kind of like clockwork. Uh, we've had anything but clockwork here in the last few weeks. So, um, as I said, behind the scenes, we've been scrambling, and right now we're trying to deal with this. Um, a lot of us got notions that we may have more milk than we need. The, you know, you may have to dump your milk, letters going out, but the cows didn't get the memo. So, you know, they're still producing milk, and mm-hmm. we, we do have to deal with that. Um, and I suspect that we are going to have... Uh, less demand going, and we are going to have to uh, take some of the capacity out of the dairy system. That's a bit of a problem right now, too, because culling animals is harder with some of our livestock auctions um, either slowing down or shutting down. Um, so, you know, just, just trying to uh, to deal with this is, is getting to be an issue at the dairy farms. All this coming at a time when dairy farmers were already struggling, the uh, the economy was not good for them already we had you know almost five years of depressed prices for dairy and it's been a tough year or set of years we've seen uh, a much more rapid uh, loss of dairy farms over the last couple of years as you know they've kind of fallen victim to this low milk prices and the last quarter of 2019 we began to see recovery happening on milk Um, It was 
good uh, for that fourth quarter, and the first couple of months of 2019 also looked good. We expected 2020 to be a mild recovery year for us, and then coronavirus showed up, and when, when that happened, we're in trouble. Yeah. Like other sectors of agriculture, there was so much optimism that this was going to be a turnaround year, and then this hit. Mark, thank you so much for the update. Take care. You're welcome, Mike. Mark Stevenson, Director of Dairy Policy Analysis, University of Wisconsin-Madison. All right, up next, are farms eligible to be part of the Paycheck Protection Program? We'll find out next on AOA. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Uh, The big question, are farms eligible to be participating in the Paycheck Protection Program that's about to kick in? We have two guests with us in this segment. Brian Keels, Director of Government and Public Affairs for Queso Isom. And also with us is Paul Niefer, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen. I want to thank both of you for being on with us. Uh, the Small Business Administration released an interim final rule uh, late yesterday updating the requirements for the Paycheck Protection Program. The loans basically will be grants as long as 75% of the loan proceeds are used to cover payroll costs. Brian, let me start with you. Are farms going to be eligible for this? Yes. Full full stop. They are eligible. The rule that was released last night is terribly written and confusing, but if you really parse through it at the end of reading through it, and I was up most of the night worrying about this, I conclude that, yes, 100% farms are eligible under the Paycheck Protection Program. Okay, so there have been questions about... uh, what what's the cutoff point? What's the if you get to a certain amount of income and things like that? Uh, Paul Niefer, let's bring you in on this. What does this rule tell us about if these loans are exempt from revenue thresholds or not? Well, it, it essentially says that it, as long as you have less than five hundred employees, there is no sales limit or, or revenue limit. It, it, you know, part part of it, again, as, as Brian was saying, it's sort of confusing the way the law is written. It references the SBA, and then it says, in addition to any business concern with less than 500 employees automatically qualifies. There's no, there's no revenue limit. It's just you have less than 500 employees, you qualify into story. Mm-hmm. Brian, I would suspect, and there will be a lot of interest to, in agriculture in this program then there absolutely is uh, we've we've been spending a lot of our time over the last week working with agricultural producers who are interested in this program now some of them will see limited be- benefits remember the paycheck protection program which is a forgivable loan so it's basically a grant 
it's tied to payroll. Um, so if you have limited payroll, you will see limited benefits. Uh, the larger your payroll, the more you can borrow and the more that can be forgiven under this program. Um, so some ag businesses and some ag sectors, certainly dairies and others that have larger payroll, uh, will see greater benefits. But even for an individual or, uh, or uh, you know, a couple or a family, you should take a look at this program because individuals, independent contractors, sole proprietors, they, they can qualify under this program too. So regardless almost of how you're structured, you should take a look at this program. Your benefits may not be huge, but they may be worth going for anyway. What about farms, Brian, that have a number of, uh, uh, rely on and employ a number of foreign workers? Uh, as a general rule, no, you're not going to be able to get uh, compensated for, uh, for individuals who reside outside of the United States. So there's so many questions here, and I think, um, I think banks and as well as uh, the farm credit system kind of expecting this rush to come in. Brian, what are you um, trying to remind farms of when making this application? Well, there are a couple couple pieces that we're encouraging people to be mindful of. Um, number one, applications open today. Uh, the total amount of funding set aside for this program is $349 billion, which sounds like a lot of money, but at the same time, this program is open to businesses, small businesses, nonprofits, independent contractors, sole proprietors. So there will be a lot of people applying for this program. Um, we expect that the funds in this program will run out, probably not today, probably not Monday, but we do think people should get their applications prepared and submitted. We also are concerned that banks are going to have such a volume of applications that it will take them a while to process. So we would counsel anyone who's interested in this program to look at it soon, uh, get your paperwork together, work with your CPA or um, a lot of this is stuff you can do on your own, certainly if your business is, is not more complex. Um, but, but pull that together uh, and, and get your submission in. We'd, we'd counsel people do that sooner rather than later. But the message is here, after some confusion and question of whether farms would be able to participate in this program, the word is now they will be, Correct. That is correct. Keep in mind, and I don't want to make it confusing, but there are two programs. So there's the Paycheck Protection Program. That's your loan forgiveness program. That's the one where you will get a check at the end of the day that you don't have to pay back. That's clearly open to agriculture, open to farmers, and everyone should be looking at that program. There's a second program called the Economic Impact Disaster Loan Program, the EIDL Loan Program. That's a program that is also available to assist with disasters. It should be open to agriculture, but SBA has a website that indicates if you're agriculture, with very few exceptions, you cannot apply for those loans, the EIDL loans. Now, those are not forgivable. Those are just loans that you take out and have to pay back. So most people are going to be more interested in the paycheck protection loans anyway, but we have been working to try to get SBA to change its stance and allow ag to use also the EIDL loan program because it's another source of financing that can help farmers who are on the ropes. And those are loans up to $2 million uh, with favorable terms, so that, that can provide some nice cash flow, even if you have a limited payroll. Okay, so lots of questions, and we're trying to sort through this, and obviously uh, you need to get the 
all the guidance you can get in making these decisions. Paul, let me come back to you because there are all kinds of tax questions involved with all this that's happening with the money from the government. Uh, what do people need to keep in mind? Well, as, as Brian was saying, there is a chance that most, if not all, of the loan will be forgiven. Normally, when you have a loan forgiven, that is taxable income, but there's a specific provision that indicates that this will be a non-taxable uh, proceeds to the borrower. Secondly, if the farmer goes ahead and takes advantage of this provision, takes a loan out, they're unable to take advantage of deferring payroll taxes, half of it on the FICA, the employer FICA side, half is deferred until December 31 of 2021, other half is deferred to December 31 of 2022, including the self-employment portion on, on their own earnings, plus they have a refundable tax payroll tax credit that perhaps farmers might qualify for. And the reason that I use the word perhaps is right now farmers are considered to be essential. And if you're essential, you may not qualify for this credit. So that's something you have to look at. Now, that credit can be pretty good. If you have four or five employees, it could easily be ten or twenty or $30,000 if you meet the right conditions. So uh, that's on the tax side. There's some other uh, tax provisions, NOLs can be now are required to be carried back five years. Uh, the two-year provision that was in place is gone. So if you did carry back your NOL a couple years ago for two years, you got to go back and amend that tax return and carry it back five years. So there, there's some other provisions, but uh, you know certainly on the payroll protection uh, or the paycheck uh, protection program uh, for the self-employed farmers out there, they can't apply for it till April 10th. Uh, and also, it came out with an announcement last night. You can only apply for one loan. So, uh, you know, if you if you have employees and you're also wanting to get yourself employed, you probably better wait till April 10th to apply for the loan if you want to maximize that loan amount. So, those are some of the uh, things that you have to take a look at. Yeah, a lot here to kind of sort through. And and finally, uh, Paul, I, w- I was going to ask you anyway, with this package, the $2 trillion package uh, that uh, Congress passed and is finally starting to uh, get out into the countryside, uh, is from a tax standpoint, anything in there all of us ought to be aware of or need to know? Uh, you know, Certainly for farmers, there are some provisions that were uh, fairly nice for the farmer. Again, we were talking about the NOLs. Um, uh, for non-farmers out there, if they're in the retail or in the restaurant and they do some improvements, that's now 100% deductible. Uh, the For retired farmers that have a required minimum distribution, that's been canceled for 2020. Uh, so they can, they are not required to take that this year, so they won't get hit with extra taxes. If they do have uh, funds in an IRA or in a 401k plan, they can actually borrow up to 100,000 penalty free, and either pay it back over three years or bring the income in over three years. So there, there's, uh, and there's probably a few other provisions. There's some really minor ones, and then, uh, those are probably some of the key ones off the top of my head. All right. I want to thank Brian Keel, Director of Government and Public Affairs for Queso Isom, and Paul Niefer, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen. Guys, thanks very much for being with us today. We appreciate it. Stay safe. Thank we you, will. Mike and thank Paul. You as well. Okay, thanks, guys. Up next, we'll take a look at the hog market and um, concerns there and with what we're dealing with with COVID-19. Economist Steve Meyer joins us next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. 
drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Yesterday at this time, we looked at the cattle market with Kevin Good, analyst with Cattle Facts. Today we look at the hog market. We're joined by Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates. Steve, when I called Kevin Good, said, let's talk about the cattle market. He says, I really don't know what to say. When I called you and said, let's talk about the hog market, you said the same thing. These are such uncertain times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, um, yeah, uh, yeah, dollar gets you an opinion about anywhere uh, these days, Mike, and I, I'm not sure any of them matter a whole lot uh you know these are unprecedented things we've just never seen anything like these and uh, the kind of disruptions we have are more severe than anything i've witnessed in my professional career and uh, i don't know that anybody else has seen them either so i guess uh, i guess uh, i guess we should be honored to be uh, a part of this huh well i did tell my granddaughter the other day i said someday uh, you'll be talking to your kids and grandkids about it, and they'll say you went through COVID nineteen. That they'll be studying in their in in history, you know. So uh, these are historic times. Uh, so there's a lot of scrutiny right now on the cattle market and concerns that uh, you know uh, what the farmers receiving and prices being depressed and and things like that. So that scrutiny is going on. What about what are your thoughts on how the hog market is functioning right now? Well, I think it's functioning. Uh, we haven't had the same kind of issues, I don't think, as we did on the cattle side. I mean, obviously, our packer margins ran up for a couple of weeks. Packers responded by killing, uh, you know, harvesting just as many hogs as they could. We ran right at capacity, almost almost exactly 2.8 million week before last. So, I mean, uh, you know, packers did exactly what they're supposed to do. Uh, they bought hogs. There's lots of hogs available. The price of those hogs didn't go up much, and now the price of both the product and the and the animals have uh, have fallen, and uh, that's really a demand issue. It's nothing else. So, I guess uh, the the, the handling that's going on over on the cattle side has not been quite as severe on our side from a margin standpoint. Um, it's just a difficult thing to try to get this product moved at the present time, and when we've got bellies and hams in the 30s, you know, those those two cuts account for about 41% of the cutout. And so uh, if they're in the 30s, they're only contributing $13, $14 a hundredweight to the cutout value. So uh, it's a very difficult thing on the sales side. Packers are handling operational issues. We haven't had a lot of problems on that. We only had, we know of only two packers that have cut back operations and and I think both of those were more market related than they were coronavirus related. Um, they're both in areas that do a lot of business in the New York, uh, Philadelphia area up in that part of the country, and obviously things are very very slow there. But still, always that concern. And you and I have talked about this before. If there is a problem in a plant, 
if the virus hits there and workers can't work, then what happens to the system at that point? Well, it's uh, we just, we're not gonna we'll we'll deal, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, and it's not going to be a very fun bridge to cross. Um, we haven't had that happen. The Packers that we've talked to, um, you know, have said you know we will operate as long as we have people to operate. I think all of them are doing their best to screen their workers to try to keep infected or sick workers out of the plant to start with, so that it doesn't start spreading. You know, we had a beef plant in Southerton, Pennsylvania, that ceased operations for a couple of weeks last week, and then the the Olimel plant in uh, Yamachich, uh, Quebec, uh, has done the same. Um, so that that could happen here. Uh, we have not heard of any uh, real problems. There have been a few plants said that their absenteeism was up a little bit, and so they've had to, you know reassign some people but as far as we know they're all still hitting their their harvest uh, numbers they might not be adding quite as much value to that product as it goes through the plant but they're getting the hogs processed steve has this finally caught up with us as far as losing the restaurant and food service sector and the initial rush by consumers to grocery stores to the retail sector to stock up on uh, meat uh, then your freezers get full, and obviously then that slows down. Has that finally caught up with us? Well, it's caught up with us some. I think I think we in the Midwest over overestimate the number of people that have freezers. Um, I'm not sure there's you know there, there, there's not as many in other parts of the country as there are in the Midwest. Uh, I, I really think we overestimate that. If you get into major cities. Uh, a lot of their dwellings are small enough. They don't have room for a freezer. All they've got is the freezer compartment, their refrigerator, and that's it. So we need to keep that in mind. Now, there was no doubt that there was some stocking up. But you have to remember that there's a whole lot more product being used at home, okay, mm-hmm. uh, because we're at home. And so uh, there's going to be a lot more draw on that product that was pulled through retail there in those couple of weeks than we normally have. And, in fact, you know, there's places that are back stocked up reasonably well, but there's still a lot of movement going on. Uh, uh, retail sales are up dramatically because food service is down so much. So, um, you know, while while we've seen loins and and uh, and butts and you know those what we call more ribs, what we call more retail products, uh, kind of come back to earth here. They they're not. I don't think they're going to get cheap because I think we're still going to move a lot of product to the retail, and we have to remember that hog numbers are going to keep going down as we go through this time of year. Um, we we think they're going to be down in the low two four two point four millions by the time we get to June, and that's that's four hundred thousand fewer than we killed two weeks ago, and so uh, you know that's a huge re- reduction in the supply on this thing too. So. Um, Yes, they're stocked up pretty well, but they're using product at home at, a, at an unprecedented rate as well. So I still think that we're going to see a pretty good retail trade, um, but uh, it's not going to make up for what we're losing, especially for bellies and uh, on, the, on the food service side. The, the hams have been hit twofold. One is the deli trade kind of went down some, and that probably will bounce back a bit. Our big concern on hams, of course, is Mexico. They take maybe half of the hams in the United States. Uh, the peso has been devalued, and now we have coronavirus there. And I, I, our, my, my big concern is what happens to the, the, the Mexican volume when if coronavirus gets rolling down there. I, I think the big impact so far has been on the price side. 
if the peso goes down, I mean, uh, okay, the peso can't buy as much, but if the price is low enough, I'll buy just as much as I did. Um, so that's a price issue more than it is a volume, in my opinion. Uh, but the coronavirus thing should sure, certainly start hitting volume. Now, offsetting that, we have lots of export interest from China, Korea, some other Asian countries in these, these very low-priced low, low price products. Um, I think in time we will probably start seeing a lot more of those flow toward Asia. Yeah, we talked earlier in the week with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, and he talked about how we are still moving moving meat around the, to our customers around the world. We are. Export the weekly export report was still pretty good. It was still very good yesterday, and so uh, we're not nearly. I'm I'm not terribly concerned on the export side now. You know, if we start getting uh, coronavirus cases that start closing ports or something, then you've got a real problem. But uh, I don't think we're in a bad shape on that. Now, what we would like to see also is that, uh, you know, the whole situation in China, as we've kind of come to realize in the last week, the numbers we were getting out of there, surprise, surprise, weren't very good on this coronavirus thing. And uh, our, our sources tell us that, you know, uh, the food service in, sector in China, which is huge, is maybe 40 or 50 percent of what it was before this thing started. So their their whole situation from a demand side isn't bouncing back as well as what those numbers would have suggested uh, that we were getting from China. And uh, I think it's clear that they've absolutely misled everybody about how bad uh, this was there and how bad it remains we're talking with Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates. Steve, I thought it was interesting what you were saying about when you lose the food service sector, when you lose the restaurant business, that affects certain cuts of pork more than others. And you'll make up for some in the uh, you know the retail sector, what people buy, but it, it's different. There are certain cuts that go more with uh, eating out. Did we lose Steve? Are you still there, Steve? I think maybe we lost him. Okay. That was Steve Meyer with Kearns and Associates, but I thought some very interesting information that he had there looking at the overall situation and how this um, the market has kind of surge and lulls and surge and lulls as we go through uh, COVID-19 and how that demand uh, issue is, is playing out. You know, People, we often hear, well, people still have to eat, but it does impact your buying and what you buy and how much you buy and when you buy. So uh, all this is uh, really testing uh, the, the, the system that we have in place that overall right now, thankfully, is still working very well in providing food. We have the food. It's that system of getting it out to people. And uh, so far, for the most part, it seems to be holding up. All right. Uh, coming up next, we're going to kind of... Let's talk something other than COVID-19 for a bit. Coming up next, we're going to talk with a, a soybean farmer in the state of New York, a United Soybean Board Director, uh, about another new use for soybeans. Here's some good news. We, we talk a lot about all these different uses that are continually being discovered uh, for soybeans. And with the work of checkoff dollars helping uh, find and develop these new products, here's one that's coming out now. How are soybeans going to be used in running shoes? That's right. 
You may have soybeans in your Skechers moving forward. We're going to talk with a soybean farmer from the state of New York about that next. So stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's look at some good news. We want to hear some good news with all that's going on around us in these uncertain times. So here's here's a bit of good news. Another new use for soybeans. And we're talking now with Ralph Lott. He's a soybean grower in the state of New York and a, a, a director for the United Soybean Board. Ralph, thanks for joining us. So I understand that uh, soybeans will be used or can be used in making Skechers running shoes. Is that right? That's exactly right. They, uh, they had a collaboration with Goodyear, and Goodyear's been using soybean oil or will be using soybean oil to making tires so uh, this is just added on to that they're going to put this in the soles of some running shoes this year and there's going to be a lot more work shoes uh just regular sketcher shoes that we're all going to be able to wear in time oh so it's not just running shoes but the sketchers line overall is going to use uh, this uh use soybeans in right that's that's a, what we've been told they're going to put it in their not everything but there's going to be uh, quite mm-hmm. a few different shoes with it You'll be able to tell when they do use them. There'll be uh, the name on it will be all models using soil will be labeled with a Goodyear performance outsoles on the boxes, the way we've been told. <laughs> kind of, we'll think of them as soybean sketchers or something like that. Well, tell us, Ralph, how this all came about and what was the soybean checkoff's role in this? Well, the soybean checkoff, as you know, we we have projects where we invest money in different things that we think will add to the price of soybeans. And this is one of them. We've been working with Goodyear's on their tire uses for a couple of years here, and uh, somehow Skechers and Goodyear got together, and they decided that the same good uses of the rubber to keep the – I think they're in all-weather tires on the, on the road, so that, that same thing can be used for running shoes and, and other shoes to give good grip, flexibility, and, and long life. So uh, – Hopefully, it's, we're hoping for the best. It's going to be another market for soybean oil. Do we have any estimates of what the market potential for this could be? How much it could, how much uh, could be used to, to make these shoes? I I don't know that. We normally do for projects have that, but I I don't have that number in front mm-hmm. of me, so I I don't want to give you something that's not right. But uh, whatever it is, you know, as a USB director, we look at all projects and we 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 do care how much it's going to use. But sometimes you start out with something small, and it, it grows into something a lot bigger. And we're we're hoping that's what this can be. Yeah, I I'm always amazed every time I think, well, they've they've probably come up with every conceivable use for soybeans that 
that there can be, but yet then more come up. Now we're talking about the, the soles on, on shoes. It's just amazing the number of things. And I know at the, uh, as the United Soybean Board, as a director there, you get a lot of these requests about, hey, this is something maybe we could use. This is something maybe we could use. We need some investment of, of dollars to help us to realize this. So you have to make those choices and those decisions. Which of those projects that come to you look like they would have the uh, the greatest return on investment for soybean growers, right? That's right. We uh, Throughout the year, we look at projects, and hundreds of projects come to us. We have meetings usually in June where we sit down in, in smaller groups, we look at the different demand, supply, whatever the the project group it fits into. They examine them. They see what the uses will be, and then we vote on them all in our July meetings, which ones we're going to fund, which ones we aren't going to fund. So, But like I said before, you, you, you don't worry about the size too much as much as you hope for the future it will grow into something big. And without that investment by the soybean checkoff, a lot of these new uses that we have now, and some maybe we are starting to take for granted, but without that soybean checkoff investment, they probably wouldn't have happened. I, I doubt it. You know, there's like uh, there's an asphalt project with Iowa State that that never would have happened without the investment from the USB. So, and there's a lot of small things. People, it, it's, it's a shame we're not real good as farmers. we got our voice out there, but there, there's a lot of things that the checkoff does that really – has created markets for the uh, for the soybeans in the United States. Yeah, I'm sure as a soybean uh, USB, a United Soybean Board director, you probably get asked by farmers from time to time, "What are you using my checkoff dollars for? How's it being used? How is it helping me?" Well, these are examples, right? That's exactly right. My sister is one of the worst ones. We took a vacation with her in Florida, and, and the first thing she asked me, you know, how are how are you spending our soybean money? And and you, farmer, there's I believe there's 78 of us now on the USB board, and we are very careful on how that money goes. It's it's also our money, so we we want to spend it wisely. Some projects don't work out, but you know you've got to invest in some of them, and and uh, majority of them do work out for us and and create more demand for soybeans. Yeah, and a lot of them, as you said. The message doesn't always get out to everybody, uh, so that's why it's important to tell the story because things like asphalt or or soles of, of shoes, things like that, that will have soybeans in them, a lot of people won't know it, so they don't give you credit for helping them bring them about. That, that's exactly right. But we do have a website, so people can go to that. It's, it's unitedsoybean.org. If they go there, they can see what a lot of our projects are and see how the money is being spent. So it's it's a worthwhile effort to go go there and look at that. Very good. And Ralph, finally, do you know when this when uh, these uh, Skechers shoes with soybeans uh, for their soles uh, when they're when they may start hitting the market? How far off is we, that? We've been told they're in stores and online now. Now, Skechers wow, go run collections. So you know you should be able to find them in your stores. Even though with the, with the things going on in the country, maybe there's not some things in stores we think. But, you know, people should at least go and look and see what they can find. Yeah, you're out there walking and running and exercising while staying socially distanced. Uh, maybe you'll do so on on uh, those soybean soles of your shoes. Ralph, thank you so much for being with us. Good to hear some uh, good positive news. Appreciate you being with us. Take care. Stay safe. You too. Thank you very much. Ralph Lott, a United Soybean Board director from the state of 
New York. And with that, we wrap it up for today and for another very eventful week. Coming up on Monday, Iowa Senator Charles Grassley will be with us to talk about the government response to COVID-19 so far and what may be coming yet down the line. And uh, we'll also be taking a look at the supply chain to farmers as we head into spring planting season. So all that coming up. Be safe. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete